the things that I've had to learn personally over the last number of years is this concept of filling my cup. Has anyone heard, you know, filling my cup? I need to make sure that my cup is filled. And, um, you know, particularly over the last couple of years with a, a little toddler running around and at first an infant in our house, um, this whole concept of having a full cup and living out of a full cup became more and more important for Beck and myself. We realized that when we don't have a full cup, you know those Snickers ads where that person is like really crabby and like they're just going off and then it's like, you're not yourself when you're hungry. Well, you're not yourself when you don't have a full cup. I'm not myself when I don't have a full cup. And and so I've learned with a kid that that's something that's really important. However, when I was younger and growing up, I didn't have such a great concept of this whole idea of living out of a full cup. In fact, I place a huge amount of my personal value and worth, my identity in around being a person of uh, high capacity. I wanted people to kind of see me as that person that would get things done and is really reliable and can be trusted with really complex responsibilities. I mean, at one stage in my life, I was uh, a staff member at a church with a, a degree in psychology looking after building projects, looking after carnivals, looking after the maintenance of a building. And they, they were not in my wheelhouse. They weren't things I was passionate about. But I had such a desire to be seen as that guy who is dependable, who would work, who would uh, uh, pour himself out in getting things done. I thought that it was something that would um, mean something to God, I think. It would mean something to people. Oh, Nate's that kind of person. You know, I, 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 I've spoken about this before. Some of you might remember it. But I used to have it as a badge of honor that I don't feel stress, I fall sick, you know? And some of you might be in that place where it's like, yeah, I don't feel stress, you know, I just wait till my body falls apart. And then, and then I'm like, oh yeah, I was stressed. Oh, I didn't feel it. I must be above it in some way, shape or form. Well, your body's telling you differently, Nate. I was a deluded fool for many years. I admit that. And I know that I needed to work on that, especially as I learn more about this whole idea of having a full cup, a lifestyle of rest. Today I'm going to be talking about stress less, rest more. Say that quickly four times. Stress less, rest more. Stress less, rest more. See, the reality for myself is that I used to push myself really hard. I do believe that is impossible, no, sorry, I think it's important, not impossible, for us to grow our capacities. We have, um, you know, as, as kids, we, we, we are expanding our capacities. It's something that is important. If we don't expand our capacities, then there's a chance that we are going to not be able to handle things that are really important. Right now, my Sam has this lack of capacity to understand that when he wants something and he doesn't get it, it's not the end of the world. It's really difficult for him right now. And he's particularly getting picky about food for some reason. And so he usually eat bananas, apples, yogurt, muesli. And now he wants biscuits and only biscuits. He wants biscuits for breakfast, for morning tea, for lunch, for afternoon tea, and for dinner, and for any time possible when the pantry door is open, it's biscuit time in Sam's world. And he does not have the capacity to realize that not having a biscuit now is not the end of the world. 
Imagine if we don't grow our capacity from being those little infants, then our lives are going to be pretty messed up. I didn't get that promotion, oh, it's the end of the world. I didn't get that job, oh, it's the end of the world. I didn't get that relationship that I desired, oh, it's the end of the world. We have to grow our capacity, right? But I used to push myself way beyond my capacity because I thought that that was a way that I would get the most of myself. I thought that I was like a car, you know, where how many of you are the types of people that always has to have your fuel meter above like a certain level? I was like, I wait till the light comes on and then I read somewhere that when the light comes on, you have 30 more kilometers before you hit empty, empty. And so I was like, yes, yeah, so let's push this baby. The car's still moving, right? The car's still able to get to places. And some people are cringing. Well, I used to think that that was how our personhoods, our our body works. I can keep going till I hit empty. And so I was like, yes, you know, when I'm sick, I will rest. Because that's me understanding that my body has actually gone, um, you're, you're empty. You're in trouble now. I didn't realize that that's not how God has created our bodies. I read this article a little while ago. It was from um, a lady who was a really busy business person. And um, she needed to go to the hospital quick because she was sick. And um, the, the doctor looks at her, does a checkup, and goes, you need to change your lifestyle because stress is killing you. And she went, no, not a problem. I'll take a couple of days rest. I will take, pop all these pills or whatever it is, and I'll get better, and it'll be all good. The doctor went, okay, if that's the route that you're going to take, let's do an MRI. Let's do a full scan because we need to see where you're at. And so they, they did the scan, and then she went back for uh, the results. And I'm going to quote to you what the doctor said to her because this is how she wrote it in the article. The doctor said, either change your lifestyle or I staple your organs to your ribcage <laughs> to keep them in place. Your tissues are weakening at such a rate that I'd have to perform surgery that I only usually recommend for 80-year-olds. But when 80-year-olds have their surgery, they don't have to live another 50 years with stapled organs. Can you imagine that? <laughs> it's kind of funny, isn't it? When you think, uh, this, I don't know, a bit visual in this one. And it's like, <laughs> it's like, let's hope that stays there. It's like, can you imagine your heart being there and your intestines being alive? I don't know how that's going to work, but basically, her body was failing because she was running on empty for so long. And she didn't know it. She thought that she was pushing herself to be productive. She was adding more and more stress, more and more responsibilities, and she didn't realize that her body was literally on the verge of failing because she was so numb to it. I wonder how many of us think that we're high-capacity people when we're actually dying on the inside. And that's not the way that God has created us. If God wanted us to be machines that could push ourselves till we hit empty and then just fuel up and keep going again, He would have made us cars. 
We'll be transformers. That would be awesome. But that's not who you are, and that's not who I am. God has created us as organic beings that need to understand how rest works. And the thing that I'm seeing is that I thank God that I've realized this at a younger age because I know plenty of pastors, plenty of ministers, plenty of people that have hit that wall and then got into places uh, with severe physical uh, um, issues that they've needed to work with, chronic fatigue, where, where, where they, uh, their lifestyle has been changed for them because they weren't willing to think and to act according to biblical principles. And so I look at this world, I look at the way, the pace of life that we are living in, and I can only see more and more stress as a natural by natural, I don't think that is necessarily good. I just think that our, that's the way our culture is working. Technology has sped up our lives so quickly. It's opened up so many options that even our primary school kids are stressed out. I'm hearing, like, when I was in primary school and in Singapore, uh, those rich kids whose parents were really like dragon parents got tuition. And now in Australia, Australia, damn it, <laughs> primary school kids are getting tuition. I'm like, what is going on in Australia? This was supposed to be, I was going to say the land of the free. I was like, hang on, that's America, isn't it? <laughs> I know, same business, the land of the larrikin. Where have all the larrikins gone? They're in tuition class now, apparently. <laughs> and I, like, we've kind of become these people that's like, you need to achieve, you need to achieve, you need to achieve. And then we're comparing ourselves all the time. I read this article that Facebook actually knows that uh, Instagram is detrimental uh, to teenage girls' lives. One out of three girls, teenage girls, have admitted that Instagram makes them feel worse about themselves. And they're not doing anything about it. Because it's a free enterprise, and, and that's just the way the world goes. You see, we either, we either go according to how the world works, with all the expectations and how the culture of the day is, or we can learn what the Bible teaches us about how we are designed to live. And so that's what I want to do today and next week, part one and part two. We're going to talk about rest. And um, uh, the good thing is that rest is not a dirty word in the Bible. Rest might be a dirty word in our culture. Rest might be a dirty word to you sitting right here going like, I don't need rest. I need more money. No. You need a balanced lifestyle according to how God has created you. And um, Jesus says in Mark 2.27, the Sabbath or the day of rest was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. God knew right from the start that he's created us to have at least one day of rest per week. And then Jesus also promises us, and I used this passage a couple of weeks ago, Matthew eleven twenty-eight to 30, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now, when I read this passage before, and I hear so many Christians quote this as a promise, and they, they look at people who are tired and, and, and stressed out and go, you know, you, you just drop that burden and you come to Jesus and you're going to find rest. And the picture I have in my mind, again, is kind of like that car. It's like you come to Jesus and you go, Jesus, I'm so tired. And then Jesus puts the nozzle into your soul, which is maybe here, and bloop, 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 suddenly I can go, I can keep going. How many of you have that picture when you read this verse? 
Yeah, come to me and I will give you rest. All right, giving me rest, I'm going to go back to my old life. I'm going to keep going. You know what? That's dumb. It's dumb because you are killing yourself. I'm not saying that you're dumb because you, got an in a, you don't have the capacity to think. I think that we're just deluded. That's what the Bible talks about, foolishness, not understanding the ways of God. And I was that kind of person. I would go and do my worship time and go, yeah, I've done my worship time, so I'm good to go because I already had my top up. When really, when we look at this verse, this is what it means. This is what Jesus means. When he says rest, the word means to cease work. When we come to Jesus, we actually need to learn how to seize some kinds of work. And then he goes on to say, and then you need to take on some of my burdens. Because my burdens are not going to burn you out. So when biblical rest is stopping certain things and then doing certain things. Biblical rest is about understanding that there are some things that in my life I just have to stop. Maybe for a little while, maybe permanently. And then there are other things that Jesus is saying to take on. Biblical rest isn't just about the dropping, it's also about the taking up. This is something that we've got to know. You know, when we look at Psalm 23, so many people love quoting Psalm 23 because it's such a beautiful, pleasant, nice psalm. It's not. Look at this, all right? This is what it says. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Oh, beautiful. God provides for all our needs. He leads me to lie down, beside, uh, lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. Oh, there we go, right? Pastor Nate, look at this verse. Jesus tops me up. I'm good to go. That's the first half, guys. He's telling you you need to stop all that stuff and rest. Enjoy nature. Enjoy the things that will refresh your soul. Exactly. Beautiful. The second of the, second of the psalm. Jesus will lead you into the valley of the shadow of death. Doesn't sound very restful, does it? I'm thinking skeletons attacking you from every side. Yep. You know, people dying, famine, I don't know, drought. Things that are about to kill you. And Jesus says, come with me. By the way, I'm going to take my rod and my staff to lead you through this valley of the shadow of death. What happened to the pastures that I'm supposed to lie down in? Maybe it's through this valley. And then the next thing it says is that he sets up a banquet, fantastic, in front of my enemies. No, thank you. Come on. How many of you, like, if you have the best meal in front of you, I don't know, think about it, but then there's that person opposite you that you hate that is actively tearing you down and shouting insults in your face. Is this very restful? Why does God think that I'm going to set a banquet in front of your enemies for you? Maybe because it's good for you. Maybe because that is going to bring a different kind of rest into your soul. Maybe you need to understand that rest is stopping certain things, absolutely but it's also taking on certain things. And so today, I want to talk about the rest of today and then into next week, I want to talk about rest using the analogy, as I've already mentioned, of filling your cup, about coming to and drinking from the well that Jesus provides. You see, Jesus talks a lot about wells in the Bible. He talks a lot about drinking from him. John 7:37 is one of them. He says, on the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. 
There's this idea of coming to him and drinking. Now, Jesus specifically is talking about the Holy Spirit, but I think it's the same thing. It's the same idea of coming to him and taking a hold of what he has got for us because this is what is going to bring us life. Yeah? And, and a, a, a number of years ago, one of our mentors, Pastor David Storer, who will be coming to speak in a couple of months' time, he loves saying this. And I know he's quoting from somewhere else, but then he will look at us and he will say, you can take the donkey to the water, but you can't make the donkey drink. So next week, we're going to be talking about being drinking donkeys. That's what we're going to do next week. Today, we're going to talk about getting to the right well. Today, we're going to talk about how we come to Jesus. You know, a few years ago, Beck's car... Um, was not running smoothly. It's a little Honda Jazz. Um, you, you probably have seen it before. Um, it's not that flash. It's not a sports car. It's a little hatchback. And um, it's our little car that we just want to be able to go places. And, um, and, and, and it's a hatchback, so it has, you can put down the seats and we can have all that room to transport some of the stuff that we need to transport uh, with uh, what we were doing Red Frogs back then. And so it was really, really great, but the car wasn't going great. Uh, when, when it was driving, it literally feels like it's going to stall. It was kind of like, and it was like, oh, 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 here we go. And that's how it was like. It was really quite um, an adventure. You never know whether you're going to go or not. <laughs> that's how it was like. And so we brought it to the mechanic. And um, uh, when he looked at it and he gave us this report, he said, you know, this particular model of jazz, for some reason, normally this little hatchback, I'm not great at cars. This is my recollection. He said, normally in such cars, you would have maybe four or six spark plugs because that's the kind of capacity of the engine. But for some reason, Honda decided to put eight spark plugs into this particular engine. And so it actually has a really powerful engine in this tiny little thing. And, um, and then he went on to say, because of how this engine is created, you can only put in more expensive fuel. If you put in the cheap stuff, it is going to coat the spark plugs and is not going to operate well. So even though it was a car that we wanted to flog and just go around and do stuff, we didn't really want it to, to, to be like this amazing sports car that we kind of leisurely drive around. We just wanted a car, but it decided it was a sports car in a family hatchback um, skin body. And literally, honestly, we put in more expensive fuel and it ran fine. And a few weeks ago, Beck, she filled up on the wrong day. We all, WA, we know that there's a wrong day to fuel up. It was a wrong day, she needed to fuel up and so she put in the cheap stuff. Literally, that whole tank, the car was like bumping along. It was like, literally one tank. It wasn't even like, come on car. <laughs> but I wonder if that's kind of like our lives. I wonder if sometimes we're fueling up on the wrong stuff and then we're wondering why our engines aren't going that well. We look at our lives and we just go, I just want to be able to flog this thing and be able to get where I need to get. And God's saying, no, I've created you with a sports interior. I've created you for something better than this. You need to know how to get to the right well in order to get to the right fuel. And so I started to think about this. I was like, how many of us... Uh, know whether we are at the right well or not. And so I want to point out just one of the wells. There might be something else for you, but 
Today, I want to point out one other well that gives you really bad fuel, but so many of us are drinking from. I'm going to look at Philippians 4, verses 6 to 7, and this is what it says. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your heart and your minds in Christ Jesus. What a beautiful promise, isn't it? Again, one of those things that I've heard so many people just, just say out, and it's like, you come to Jesus and He's going to give you peace that you're not even going to know about. Pfft, there you go, peace. It passes understanding. So even if you don't feel it, it's probably because you don't understand it. So God's peace is already guarding your heart. Sometimes Christians. Anyway, that's not what it's saying. Notice what it says. Do not be anxious. In some of the translations, that do not worry about anything. What does anxiety and worry do? Anxiety and worry are all about preparing yourself for possible threats, possible situations that you want to bring your best to. In its proper form, anxiety and worry are good things. In its functional form, in, in its most functional place, when I am regulating anxiety and worry well, it is important for me. It helps me to plan my days. It helps me to work out what I need to do. However, when I continue on in anxiety and worry about a thing, what it's doing is that it's taking you into toxic territory because there are things that you cannot control. Right? So when you are having a problem with anxiety and worry, really, you have a problem with control. And that is the other well that I want to point out to you. Many of us are wanting to rest well. Many of us are wanting to fill ourselves well. <laughs> I don't think anyone is like, give me the crap stuff. All of us are like, I want to be filled with the good stuff. However, some, many of us, myself included, often go to the wrong well and say, well, fill me up. And we're going to the well of control and we're finding ourselves flooded with anxiety and worry. We're finding ourselves going when we don't need to go. Instagram is actually a place filled with anxiety and worry. It gives us comparisons to other people, and then we start to ask ourselves and worry, am I doing enough? Am I doing what I should be doing? Am I looking like how I should look? Am I saying what I need to say? Am I thinking what I need to think? And we compare ourselves because we want to control ourselves, and we want to set ourselves up the way that we think we should be. Whereas the author of Philippians, Paul was saying, do not be anxious or worried, but come to Jesus with thanksgiving, prayer, and present your request to God. Do you know how hard it is to actually ask for what you need? Most of us not practiced in it. We will hint we will allude to the fact that we need something, but we won't actually say, I think I need something. For many years in my life, I didn't know that I needed deep relationships. I didn't know it. And so I was bouncing from friendship to friendship. I was looking for a, a, a romantic relationship that I thought would fill this area, this void in my life, and I didn't get it. And I, I, I didn't come to Jesus and I didn't say to him, hey, hey, help me to learn how to be secure enough to be in good relationships. No, I told him, bring me better friends. Bring me a girlfriend and I'll be all right. 
we don't really know how to ask for the right things that we need to ask for because we are still drinking from the well of control. When I came to Jesus with all of those requests, it was because I still wanted to hold on to my life the way that I wanted it to be. And so I wasn't really able to ask for the requests because I was still at the wrong well. You see, when we come to Jesus and we say through prayer, with thanksgiving, why is thanksgiving in there? It's because thanksgiving helps us to realize that we can trust God. We're at the well of control because we don't trust anyone else. In our civilization, our Western civilization, we have been taught that we can only depend on ourselves. We have been taught that trusting anyone else is a sign of weakness. And so even within marriages, we don't know how to ask. We don't know how to trust. And we're constantly working by ourselves, trying to find what we need in these places where we're supposed to be in partnership. This is one of the greatest things that I have found. And we're going to talk about this in a later series after Live Talks. We're going to talk about different emotions and how to interpret them so that we actually know what we need. All right? It's going to be a great series. I'm plugging it now because I'm talking about it. But do we actually know what we need? And then I started thinking about this. Maybe we don't even really know what we need. We don't know how to ask because we don't know what we need. So we come to Jesus and say, give me a promotion, give me more money, give me a relationship, give me stability, give me security, give me all of these things. But we're not coming to Jesus and say, I feel like I need all of these things, but what do you think? Remember what Jesus said, come to me and cease working according to those expectations. And then take on my expectations. How are we meant to take on what God wants us to take on when our cups are so full of things that we think we need to do? At the heart of this, it's a trust issue. And I think more of us are more afraid of surrendering to God and to letting go of control than facing life by ourselves. Rest is scary for those who need to be in control. Rest is scary for those who need to be in control. Having some sort of control of our lives is good. Being able to do things is good. But there is a point where we need to learn that the kind of control that we're looking for is not a healthy control. It's a control that is there to make me feel safe. It's a control that I want to have to ensure that every base is covered so that no one will hurt me. It's a control that says, I'm going to work this out because if I don't work this out, I don't know if I'm good enough. It's a control that says, I need to know exactly how everything works. If not, I'm going to stay stuck here in this spot and not taking another step forward. It's a control that binds us down and wears us down. It's a control that feeds us expectations that we aren't able to carry. 
but it's better for many of us than letting go and saying, God, you teach me how to live. You show me your ways. Guide me. Teach me my steps. And the thing about God is this. He's really terrible at telling you exactly how things are going to work out. Anyone notice that? A few years ago, Beck and I put our house on the market believing that we were to move into this town because we want to minister to this town. We wanted to be residents in this town. Our house was on the market for two years. Two years. And after three months, six months, I started to get angry with God. It was a really big bird. <laughs> Are we on Sesame Street? Um, I don't know. That just, where was I? House. Yeah, I was angry with God because I was like, God, you told me to do this. But God didn't say, I'll sell your house in three months. God didn't say, I'll sell your house in six months. God didn't say, I'll sell your house in a year. God didn't say any of that. He just said, well, we thought that he said, sell the house. And so we were there. We were going like, what in the world's going on? And I realized that what was going on is that my desire and need for control was severely being tested. Every single week, that we cleaned the house, <laughs> that we put the kitty litter outside somewhere so that the prospective buyers wouldn't look at it. Every week that we took our cat out into the park and put a leash on him, <laughs> and then we would come back and hear that not a single person came to look at our house. I was angry at God. Every single time it didn't work out according to plan, I say, God, why aren't you working? And so it is with the well of Jesus. We can come to it and we can go, I really want to trust you. But how is this going to work? Sometimes we're going to have to go, I don't necessarily need to learn how it all works out. I'm going to use as much wisdom as I can gather. And the Bible gives us lots of wisdom. And then from that point going, I'm not going to control this. I need you to speak into this, God. Next week, we're going to talk about a lot more about what that looks like. But today, I want to drive this home. You don't control and have God at the same time. God is not a tool in your life. God is not something you manipulate to get what you want. God is not a genie in a lamb that you rub. God is not a machine you put some coins in to get what you want. God is God. And when I go to the well of control, I'm saying, God, you're not big enough to cater for my needs. You're not big enough to look after me. You're not big enough to know how this works. God, I'm sure you don't have a PhD in finance. And so I'm going to look after my own finance. I'm sure you don't have a PhD in relationships. And so I'm going to conduct relationships myself. Because Mr. Google has taught me how to pick up chicks at the shop. Where do you go? I don't even know where that was going. But we think 
And we build up these ways of thinking this is how life works when really we're saying this is how I want life to work. This is how I want life to work. When we finally sold our house after two years, I had gotten to that point where I was going, God, whatever. If it sells, it sells. If it doesn't sell, we'll keep going until we feel like you say not to try anymore. We finally got the house that we wanted. We had money left over. Uh, we were able to invest that. We were thinking that that was going to go for adoption. And then God opened the door for uh, uh, Sam to be placed with us locally rather than having to go to South Korea. And all those things were set in motion because God knew and God wanted me to grow. God needed me to increase my capacity by learning how to rest in Him. How strange, how weird it is, how God works in our lives is beyond comprehension. It's like, and I wonder if God told me that this is how it's going to work, whether I would have not learned that. I would have kind of gone, God's told me the house is not going to sell yet, and why clean it? God told me the house is not going to sell it, so why hope? Why keep trying? God was leading me through this place where I was growing in my ability to rest and to trust in Him. Can we stand this morning? Can we get the band up? Which well are you at today? We can be in a church setting like this. But in our heart, we're still at the well of control. The whole Bible story is about humanity that can't. It's about people that try and fail. Even those called by God, they try and try and they fail. The whole biblical story points to Jesus, the one who can. And the whole biblical story points to a people that can't go into a God who can and a God who does. And say, God, I need you. And I'm not going to take this on by myself. The story of salvation isn't about a moment where you say the sinner's prayer and then the rest of eternity is settled by the rest of your life you get to do by yourself. No, no, no. Salvation is about me seeing that however hard I try on this earth, I still can't. But Jesus already has. And He says that I'm here to give you life and life abundantly. So come and drink. Come and drink from the well that He's providing. He's saying, come to me all you who are thirsty. And I will give you water. There will be streams of living water that flow through you if you come to me. And so this morning, which well are you at? Has control so gripped you? Has your understanding of how life works and so wrapped around what you can control that you don't know how to rest 
in the presence of God. You don't know how to receive in the presence of God. If you're here this morning, and that's you, and you're struggling, and you're and you know that control is that thing that you want so desperately. You need to leave that well. You need to come to Jesus. And at the very least, try. At the very least, with thanksgiving, as Paul said. God, I thank you that I thank you that even though. I'm no one really of worth. I've done nothing of great value. But still you choose to love me. Still you choose to secure my eternity with you. Even though I don't feel very gifted, I don't feel very capable, but you still choose to have me part of your plan. What's that all about? And so God, I am so grateful. So grateful that you would see me and that you would choose me. I think there's someone here who actually thinks that God doesn't know you. I think there's someone in this room who maybe the penny hasn't dropped that God's pursuing you. He sees all that you do. He sees you striving and pushing, trying to validate His decision to love you. And He says, stop, child. You don't need to do that. Seize work. Rest in me. I know you. I know how I created you. I put aside things for you to do. Don't worry. I'm not calling you just to kind of lie around and do nothing. I've, I've got stuff for you. Don't worry. But you're not going to do it to prove yourself. You're going to do it because... That's what's going to make you come alive. You're going to do it because you were created for it. You were designed for it. How amazing it is to come to a God who tells us you've got nothing to prove. This morning, if that is you, can you just put your arms out and just say, God, I want to come to you. Thank you, Jesus. This morning, if you're feeling a little bit lost in that regard, you don't know what to do about all of that, I'd like to pray with you. We've got our team that would love to pray with you. To just be a guide and walk with you to the well of Jesus. And so we're just going to close in a moment. I'm going to say a prayer. We're going to finish there. But if you want prayer, you come forward and we'll stand with you and we'll pray with you, all right? Let me just close. Dear Jesus, I thank you that in this life it is not about striving and pushing, 
but it's about resting in you. It's about knowing your voice and following your lead. So whether it is to lie down beside still waters or whether it is to walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we'll trust and we'll walk. So I thank you, Jesus. I pray that your voice and your Holy Spirit is with us. And I pray this in your mighty name. Amen. We hope you've enjoyed this week's message. Follow us on Instagram at The Lift Church or on Facebook at Live Church Perth. That will give you all the up-to-date information about what's happening in the life of our church. Thanks again for listening. God bless.